Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. It is the right time to come up. Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Nate. If you haven't met me before, I'm normally over at our Encanto campus, and it's a joy for me to be able to share God's Word with you today. I hope you're looking forward to hearing from God. Anybody out there excited to hear from God? There's other places we can be right now, but there's no better place that we can be right now. David said that he's done lots of research when he said this. He said, better is one day in God's house than a thousand elsewhere. And he had everything available on planet Earth as a king to sample elsewhere. He had spent time elsewhere, and he knew there's no better place than to be in the presence of God. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to grab the Word of God, and it's living and active, so handle it with care. Uh, It's going to be something that reads us this morning if we do it right. Because we read the Bible, but ultimately the Bible's the mirror that shows us where we need to change and shows us who God is and shows us what it is that he wants to do in our lives. So as we look at this word today, realize you're holding something powerful. You're holding something eternal. This same word started everything that you and I see around the universe. This same word sustains us and keeps it going. This same word will judge the living and the dead one day. So this word is powerful. This word can cut deep into my heart and your heart between the joints and the marrow. It's the perfect surgeon to get at what needs to be worked on in us. So if you dare, open your Bible. (laughs) Soren Kierkegaard said, it's a scary thing to be alone with the Bible because it starts talking to you. It starts It starts challenging you and encouraging you and strengthening you. And it's the living word of God to you personally. It's not just a book that fell out of the sky, but it was written by real people who watch God work in their day and age. That same Holy Spirit that wrote it then is active now, helping us understand it and apply it. And he lives inside us. So this is an encounter with the living God. When we open up this book, it's like a love letter to us. And it's our privilege to be able to hold this. You know, there are Christians around the world that, that have waited their whole life for a Bible. And we have, I went, I went to the store this morning and there's like stacks of Bibles you can go buy. And we're really privileged. Sometimes we have the Bible around us so much, we don't realize what we have. We've got the stacks of Bibles, but we don't open the Bible and get into it. And this is our opportunity to get into the Bible and get the Bible into us this morning. So that's what I'm praying God will do. We're going to be looking at John chapter 18, and I'll be reading verses 15 through uh, 27 today. We've been traveling on this journey through the gospel of John. And just like when you watch a Netflix series, they say, if you were with us last week, you heard or saw. Last week, Jesus was betrayed in the garden by Judas, and they caught him at his place of prayer. If I'm going to be betrayed, I want someone to catch me at my place of prayer. Like if you're going to go find Jesus, you want to know where to get him? Go to the place, that secret garden place where he gathered with his disciples. And Judas is like, I know where you'll find him. He's always sneaking away and praying. 
That's because he, that's why he has power in his life because he would be with God in private and then in public, he would raise the dead. He would feed the hungry. He would preach the good news of God's kingdom. He'd forgive sins. His private prayer life fueled his public ministry. That's where you're gonna find him, Judas said. Judas could pass the 101 quiz about Jesus. He knew all the details, but he wasn't dialed in in his heart. Sometimes knowing all the facts about God isn't enough. We've got to surrender our hearts to him and be part of his plan and give our lives to him as well. So Judas brings this assortment of troops, officers and chief priests, and the Pharisees gave him lanterns and torches and weapons, and they showed up. I'm giving you the Nate's International Paraphrase for just a second, and then we're going to get to uh, verse number 15. But you can fact check me, make sure I'm doing it right. They show up, and, and these guys are walking up towards Jesus. Jesus steps forward and says, who do you seek? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. And as soon as he said that, they all fell down. Like the glory and power of God, I am, is all throughout this book of John. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the gate. I am the bread of life. Today, he says, I am the one you seek. And they all fell down. They were, it was like the Benny Hinn moment. They were slain in the spirit. Boom. The power of God knocked them out for a second. And then they get back up. Could you imagine getting knocked out by one word and then you still try to go arrest this guy? That's, that's some like brazen, calloused, dense persistence. If, if somebody knocked me down with their word, I'm not going to go arrest them. But they stepped forward and they did it anyway. And then Jesus said again, I'm the guy you're looking for. Let everybody else go. And they scattered. They dispersed. And then we're going to pick up in verse 15 now. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That's probably John. John talks about himself sort of in the third person, the one who Jesus loved. There was another disciple along the way. Now, that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So they're all warming themselves up by the fire, and this disciple that knows some of the people with the high priest inner circle is recognized. And then he goes back out and advocates for Peter. But Peter stood at the door outside and the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door. So there was a bouncer at the high priest courtyard. There was a gatekeeper, the security girl. And then the servant girl let him in and brought Peter in. Verse 17, then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, they didn't have IDs back then, but they just used facial recognition. So she looks at him and she says, you also are one of these men's, one of this man's disciples, aren't you? And Peter begins his trifecta of denials by saying, I am not. Now, if you had a choice between physical pain and relational pain, which would you take? Show of hands. And, and let's, let me just unpack this for a second. Physical pain. I ask kids sometimes in schools, because our ministry shares the gospel in public schools throughout San Diego and throughout the U.S., and, and I'll ask kids, if you had to choose between somebody beating you down physically, jumping you, breaking your bones, 
Hopefully they don't have a black belt like the guy who led us in prayer moments ago. But somebody just gets on you, breaks your body. Your body's going to heal again. How long does it take for a broken bone to come back? Anybody know? It can be six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, depends on the bone. But if somebody cuts you with their words, or if somebody betrays your relationship, that takes a long time to heal, doesn't it? And what if somebody dents your car? Your car can go to the body shop and it comes back in four weeks, five weeks. But if somebody dents and damages your heart and your soul, that, that can still heal too. Jesus is in the healing business, but that can take longer. So now that I've set it up that well, how many of you would pick physical pain over, over relational pain? Okay, how many of you would rather have relational pain than physical pain? And there's, I'm just asking for honesty, so I appreciate that. Jesus had a choice too. Jesus picked the physical pain over relational pain because relational pain hurts worse. If Jesus prioritized his pain differently, none of us would be able to be saved this morning if we're saved. Because the pain that Jesus looked at in front of him was the pain of being broken from us, ostracized from us, separated and marginalized from us, distanced from us forever, or he could take the physical pain of getting beat down severely, and he knew he could rise again and come back. The one distance was permanent if he didn't fix it. The other was temporary if he picked the physical pain. So these are like the two showcases, right? Neither of them are worth winning. Neither of them are good. But Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross. But you know what the worst pain of the cross was, I believe, my brothers and sisters? It wasn't the nails. It wasn't the spear in his side. It wasn't the filleting of his back that the Romans invented. The Romans stayed up late at night figuring out how to really hurt people. Arrows go too fast, but crucifixion, that's really good because you don't die from loss of blood. Anybody know what you die from when you're crucified? Suffocation. You can't breathe. You've got to push yourself up on the nails. All of that was excruciating. The word excruciating was invented to describe the suffering of the cross. But that pain paled in comparison to the pain of not having you and me with God forever. And that's what Jesus had to choose between. He was really, really, really suffering physically. But you know what hurt even more? The relational distance between him and God. And the relational distance between him and his disciples that we're about to enter into when we study the book of John in this section. Judas, the guy that dipped the bread with Jesus, they shared meals together, betrayed him and turned on him. Enemy fire is easy to predict because you expect to get shot at from the enemy. But when you get shot at from the side from a friend and your shield's not ready for that, that can penetrate deeper. That hurts more. That betrayal is is painful. Jesus was willing to go through that to get you and I back again. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? That was the first time in the history of the universe that the Trinity was ever interrupted. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God had lived in perfect unity from the beginning. And for just a couple hours on Good Friday, 
Good Friday was a very bad day for Jesus, a very good day for us. That unity, that intimacy, that oneness between God the Father and God the Son for the first time ever, never happened before, never happened since, was broken because of sin that Jesus took on himself. People always ask, who was the most sinful person in the world? One of my professors studies sociology, and he says they always ask that question. Was it Genghis Khan, or was it Hitler or Mussolini at the peak of power? And, and my professor says, no, no, it was Jesus on the cross for a few hours. He was perfect through all of his life, 33 years of perfection, the only perfect life in human history. But then when he took the sins of humanity onto himself, he became the most sinful man in human history for a few hours as he absorbed the sin of us, went down to the grave, the sin stayed down. And on Easter Sunday, Jesus got back up again, sin-free, death-free. And we all get access to that if we believe in it. So Jesus was willing to be betrayed. He picked the relational pain that he had to go through. And he got the physical pain as well on this one. He had to do it all. But ultimately, he knew that his resurrection power would fix it all. So Jesus himself watches his friend, he thought, betray him. His friend shows up with troops and led him to that secret place that only he knows about. They didn't have Google Earth. We could like zoom in on the Garden of Gethsemane. Back then you had to find like a spy or somebody on the inside to lead you to the place of betrayal. But not only was Jesus betrayed, I do think the emotional pain hurt worse than the physical pain that day. He had to do both. But he also had the head of his church the one who was going to lead the book of Acts forward, denied him three times. Not just one slip up, but three consecutive times. So the bouncer in the high priest corridor says, you were one of them, right? And he said, I am not. Jesus healed the dead. He fed 15,000 people with one dude's lunch. He taught and preached. They camped out together. They spent three years together. Peter wasn't just a follower on Instagram. He followed Jesus in real life. And yet, when the chips were down, when Peter was afraid of his life being taken, he said, never knew the guy. That hurts. It's interesting. When Peter was talking to Jesus earlier, he said, Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. I'm going to go all the way for you. And later we find out Peter will die for Jesus. But he goes, I'm ready now. There's nothing that would stop me from following you wholeheartedly to the end. The good news and the bad news about Jesus knowing us is he knows our sin even better than we do. But he also knows our calling and our vocation and our ability to serve him even better than we do too. So Jesus looks at Peter and he goes, Peter, you have no idea what you're talking about. Peter, you're saying so boldly that you're going to follow me. You want to die for me. But guess what? In a very short period of time, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. And then the rooster's going to crow. So Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew Peter. But Jesus didn't just see Peter's sin. 
he saw Peter's redemptive potential. That's always been the case with Peter. When Peter was walking out of the boat, Peter had the guts to step forward during the storm. Remember that? And he's looking out at Jesus and he starts to sink. And Jesus grabs him and pulls him up and says, you have little faith. I'm going to build your faith. You've got a little faith now. Follow me. You're going to have more faith. So Jesus walks with Peter through all the ups and downs. When it was time to proclaim, who is Jesus? Remember when Jesus said, who do they say that I am? Some say John the Baptist back from the dead. Some say Elijah or another great prophet. And Jesus said, but what about you guys? Who do you say that I am? Peter was the one who was bold and stepped forward and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My father in heaven showed you that. So Peter's got this battle going on in his heart between doubt and disbelief, between boldness and denial. And Jesus sees it all and he's calling the good out and he's addressing the bad. The the, the bad stuff is getting squashed down. The good stuff's getting called up. That's what he's doing in all of our lives if we surrender to him. Let's read verse 18. Now the servants and officers had made a fire of coals. So they're cooking out, trying to stay warm for it was cold and they warmed themselves and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. So the light of the fire and the flame would have been flickering on Jesus, maybe in the distance, but up close, you could see Peter's face better. And so people are checking out his face in the flickering flame. Then we zoom over to the high priest talking to Jesus. The high priest then asked Jesus and his disciples about their doctrine, verse 19. And then Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet and in secret. And I have said nothing in hiding. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I have said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. So Jesus is saying, this isn't my first time in public. I've been out there in the synagogues. I've been in the temple courts. I've been preaching the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. Great crowds have come. The crazy thing about Jesus is this wasn't the first time people sent someone to arrest him. There was another time they sent soldiers to arrest him, temple guards, and they were sent out to come back with Jesus. They come back without Jesus. And their boss says, what are you doing? I sent you on an errand to go get Jesus. You know what they said? They said, nobody ever preached like this guy preached. They were sent to arrest him and they got caught up in his sermon. They were captivated with the kingdom of God and the truths he was proclaiming and they forgot to go arrest him. So Jesus is only being arrested now because his time has come, not because someone else is more powerful than him. He chose to be arrested. He chose to give up his life. He freely gives it. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I give it freely. Isn't that interesting? Jesus had all this power. And he said, I have been talking in public. If you want to know what I said, ask the people that heard me. And then when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood there, this is verse 22, struck Jesus with the palm of his hand saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Isn't this ironic? Who's the real high priest in this story? If you read Hebrews, it's Jesus. 
they can't recognize Jesus who's standing there. The great actor Charlie Chaplin one time was strolling through Paris and he came across a sign that read, Charlie Chaplin Lookalike Contest. So out of curiosity and just for fun, he went in and entered the contest. He came in third place because people couldn't recognize the real thing. Here's Jesus standing in front of the high priest. It's actually a relative of the high priest serving on behalf of the high priest. And you find out later he's going to the actual high priest at his next stop. But they can't recognize who he is. The whole purpose of this book, if you read John, is to be able to correctly ID Jesus. At the very end, he says, I've written all these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and have life in his name. That's the whole point of the whole book. And the religious leaders, the highest ranking religious leader could not correctly ID the plan that God had put forth. Later in this same story, Pilate looks at Jesus and says, what is truth? The way, the truth, and the life was actually standing right in front of them, and they couldn't see him. I hope you can see him this morning. I hope I can see him this morning. I hope you see him more clearly after this sermon today. I hope it becomes like big screen high def in your life today. I hope it's like 3D in your life today. I hope you get pulled into the story. I hope the story comes into your living room and starts to change your life and who you hang out with and how you operate too. Can you see him? And then Jesus says this, if I've spoken evil, tell me what I said that was evil. But if I've spoken well, why do you strike me? I'm just telling you the truth. Don't hit the messenger. I'm not just telling you the truth. I am the truth. And then Anus the high priest's ambassador, sent him bound to Caiaphas, the actual high priest. Caiaphas was the one who had delegated some authority to Anus. They were related. So now we're back with Peter. Peter's kind of watching all this happen from a distance, wondering what's going to happen to Jesus. He's afraid because they've already had a showdown in the garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus was met with all these troops. And Peter pulled out his sword. Remember this from last week, if you were here watching the Netflix episode? And he slices off the right ear of the high priest's servant. I'm deaf in my right ear, so I kind of know how that feels a little bit to just have hearing on one ear for 47 years. That's my story. But Jesus had so much compassion. This guy only suffered for a couple minutes. Can you imagine your enemies come to arrest you. You say, I am he. They all fall down. And then one of your zealot guys grabs a sword, slices off the ear of your enemy. And instead of saying, keep slicing, Peter, he says, put your sword back in its sheath. In another epistle, he says, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Retaliation isn't the answer, Peter. Plus, I'm so much more powerful. If I wanted to, I don't need any help. We'll talk about that in a minute. Jesus picks up the bloody ear and he puts it back on the guy and they still arrest him. And it's ridiculous. Somehow they're so blinded, they can't recognize who Jesus is. He restores the ear and he says, take me. 
So in this story, who has more troops? I want us to think about that for just a second. To the naked eye, it looks like Judas and his crew had the upper hand because they had torches, they had lanterns, they had swords, they were there with some soldiers. But you know what Jesus said elsewhere in scripture? He said that nobody takes my life from me, I lay it down. But he elaborated on that. He said, if I wanted to right now, Jesus is the Lord of heaven's armies, cleverly wrapped up in a human package. He was 100% God and 100% man at the exact same time. And he said, if I wanted to right now, I could call, check this out, 12 legions of angels. A legion is 6,000 Roman troops. So any math whizzes in the audience, you can get out your phone calculator too. That's 72,000 angels. And he could have just said, boys, handle this. No Bluetooth required because they're always listening to him. And they would have come down. We know from Old Testament stories, angels aren't chubby babies with harps sitting on clouds. <laughs> angels are fierce warriors. Angels will make you wet your pants when you see them. That's why the first thing they always say when they show up is, do not be afraid. Because our natural instinct is to be afraid. One angel on one night wiped out 185,000 Assyrian troops that were threatening Israel. One night, one angel. Imagine what 72,000 angels can do in one night. Multiply that times 100, multiply 185,000 times 72,000. You know what you get? Over 12 billion. Jesus could have made one call and summoned an angelic army that could have wiped out our entire planet today, plus 3 billion people back then. That's, that's what he had at his disposal. And he chose to go forward with the pain of betrayal, the pain of rejection, the pain of suffering. Why? Because he wanted you and I that badly. I hope this sinks in. I hope you walk home realizing even more than ever how much Jesus loves you and loves me and how much he gave up to get you and I back. Jesus had far more troops than this little assortment of people trying to scare him. He gave them a clue when he said, I am he, when they all fell down. But Jesus had a bigger plan. So now Simon, who's also, he recognized Christ, but he didn't recognize Christ's power. He knew who Christ was, but he didn't know who Christ was. He didn't know how much power he had. And so Peter's there afraid. If you had an angelic army behind you, would you be afraid to confess Jesus? Oh, no. But this is what happens. Verse 25. Now, Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. I told you the fire was a little brighter on his face. Therefore, one of them said, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? Sort of like sarcastically, like you sure wouldn't follow that guy, would you? Surely you're not naive enough to, our ministry has started to share Jesus in public schools as we have been for many years, but we've also started sharing Jesus online because we want the world and the country to see that there's a hunger for young people in public schools and that the Asbury revival is incredible and I celebrate that, 
But there's a revival going on right now in our public school system where kids are coming to Jesus. They're hungry for it. And we're starting to broadcast that so people can see that we're really in perhaps the last days, but we're gonna make every moment count until Jesus comes back again. He went through too much for me to be quiet about it. I want people to see this. But there are some people online that get into the feed and they'll see and they'll say, why are you believing in a sky fairy? This imaginary God. Or they'll say, you have a PhD from where? They'll kind of question like, you sure don't. If you believe in Jesus, you sure aren't well-educated. They'll say that. And I don't put my credentials back. I just say, God, please show yourself to them because I'm going to love the people that hate on us too. That's what Jesus did. He put the ear back on of the guy that's attacking him. So we have to be like Christ when we're attacked. Sometimes they'll say, you're manipulating impressionable middle and high school students by implying that there's something missing in their lives. You're looking down on them. You're degrading them. And I actually say, no, when I'm telling a kid they need Jesus, I'm actually saying, you're so important that we're going to stop everything until we find you. Being lost isn't an insult. Being lost is a compliment because as soon as you lose something, you stop everything until you get it back again. I left my phone at Grand Central Station one day on the East Coast on a leather recliner, and my phone is black. And as soon as I realized this, I stopped everything cold. All my contacts are in there. My whole ministry business runs through that phone. If you're an entrepreneur, you understand what I'm talking about. I went in a dead sprint to get that phone back again. I looked like a fool running through the station because I had to get it back. I get back to the coffee shop and thank you, Jesus, it's sitting right there on the armrest. Saying something's lost isn't an insult. Saying something's lost communicates its great value because we have to go get it back again. Jesus in this story is talking to us about our great value that we have, we have so much value in his sight, he's willing to look like a fool. He's willing to be betrayed. He's willing to be denied. He's willing to suffer even though he never had to. He didn't deserve it. They released Barabbas instead of him. They picked a thief over the Prince of Peace. They picked a thief over the son of the living God. They hung him up between two thieves, but all that was worth it because he knew he was going to rob the grave. He was going to rob sin and death. He was going to get us back again, and that was worth looking like a fool running to meet us. If you listen to the story of the, of the parable of, of the prodigal son, God's running to meet us no matter what we've done. If we're covered in pig filth, if we've betrayed him, if we've denied him, you know what asking for your inheritance means when the guy that you're getting the inheritance from is still alive? That's like saying, I wish you were dead. But after all of that betrayal, what does God do? He still runs to meet us again because we're worth more than we realize we're worth when we look at ourselves through the lens of the scriptures. We're more sinful than we ever imagined. We're more valuable than we ever imagined. And the Bible tells us both. We need to come to our Savior. So here's what Peter does. He denies him twice. Then here's the third one. Three strikes and you're out in our justice system, but not with Jesus. Isn't that nice? Jesus reinstates Peter after all this. If somebody betrayed you in public, in your time of need, when you're locked up, 
when your worst day is happening, everybody else deserts you, would you take them back again? Aren't you glad you're not God? Aren't you glad I'm not God? God doesn't abandon justice. He doesn't abandon righteousness, but he's gracious. And because of Jesus, he can come after us again and still pay for our sin debt. It's an amazing situation. So then here's what happens. One of the other servants said, this is verse 26. This person was a relative of the guy who Peter sliced the ear off of. Like, did you just jump my cousin? That's what's happening in this text. That's the Nate International paraphrase version. Did you just jump my cousin in the garden? Surely it wasn't me. Wasn't I. Not I. You, you follow that dude, right? No, I don't. And Peter denied it again. And immediately, the rooster crowed. In another epistle, it actually says the rooster crowed and Jesus looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine that moment? The Bible says Peter went out and wept bitterly. Because Peter's like, man, I knew I loved Jesus in my heart, but I've got this other stuff in my heart that denies Jesus. Anybody else there? Like sincerely love Jesus, but then sincerely capable in the next second of denying Jesus? Remember when he comes into town, everybody's like, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We're going to celebrate that on Palm Sunday in just a little bit. What did the same crowd say a week later? Crucify him. We are a fickle people. If you get your identity from humans, you're going to be on a roller coaster. They love you. They hate you. Your approval rating's up. Your approval rating's down. You did something they like. You did something they didn't like. They're in a bad mood. They haven't had their coffee. They're feeling good. The sun's out today. Don't base your worth on the opinions of others because those are always changing. Base your worth on what Jesus did for you and what he gave up for you and what he sacrificed to get to you because that communicates your value. That's what you got to anchor yourself in. That's what you've got to hang on to. Amen. And then they take Jesus away. There's a bunch of other stuff that you'll hear next week. They didn't want to be ceremonially unclean, so they stayed out of the palace while they're crucifying the Son of God. Like, we keep our religious rituals. We don't want to do anything wrong. We want to eat the Passover. Meanwhile, we're, a, we're overseeing the slaughter of the Passover lamb. There's all sorts of irony with blindness. There's all sorts of irony with what they can't see. But Jesus is just saying, do you see? Can you see me today? Can you see how much I love you today? If we read the rest of the story, spoiler alert, Jesus reinstates Peter three times. One for every time you denied him. Isn't that cool? Jesus is so thorough. You denied me three times, I'm gonna walk with you and reinstate you three different times. Peter was bold after that. He wasn't afraid after that. He stood up at Pentecost and preached a sermon. How many people came to Christ? 3,000, 1,000 for every denial. And he was reinstated. So your low points on your journey with Jesus don't have to define you if you keep coming back to him. Yes. Judas betrayed Jesus, went out and wept bitterly. But from that bitter weeping, he went in a different direction and hung himself. Our bitter weeping can lead us humbly back to Jesus or our bitter weeping can lead us to despair. I beg you to choose repentance. That means coming back to Jesus, screwing up and coming back to Jesus. That's the history of Israel, if you read it. 
It's called the cycle of apostasy if you go to seminary. But it basically means breaking up and making up with God. Life with God looks great. I'm going to do it. Now life with myself looks better. I can run my own affairs. That didn't work out so well. I'm broken. I'm desperate. The pig filth doesn't smell good on me. I'm coming home. That's the cycle that God walks with us through. But if you walk with him, it's a spiral staircase going up. It's not a meaningless cycle. It's a spiral cycle that's climbing up to glory, to sanctification, to accomplishing what God has for you. That's the cycle Peter was on. Judas jumped off the staircase. Peter just had to keep going around. He came back humbly after denying him. Have you had a time when you've denied Jesus? Can I be real transparent with you for a minute? About five years ago, a very wealthy business owner here in town called our charity and his assistant said, we want to do a blanket drive for kids in need. I had no idea what was going to happen. I was busy. I had all these appointments blocked back to back to back. I show up in the van, not sure what to expect. It's Christmas time. And he says, meet us at this brewery. We're having a company party. And I had my two sons along. And we walk into this brewery. I don't know what's going on, but they've got this huge pile of blankets stacked from floor to ceiling. And they say, spontaneously, uh, we're going to now receive a motivational speech from a community leader. That was me. I found out about the speech about two seconds before I had to give the speech. And everybody in the audience is slightly inebriated at the holiday party. And my son, Russell, has a very sensitive conscience. He's like, Dad, I'm in a pub. Am I going to get arrested by the cops? I said, no, son, you're just here to pick up blankets. You're just helping me. So I give this talk about how uh, Jesus was evicted from hotels back in the early part of the Christmas story, and he understands what it's like to be on the streets. So the kids that we're helping with blankets are also going to benefit from this. And then they load up the car, floor to ceiling with blankets. I'm very thankful for this gift. It was worth, I don't know, $1,000 or $2,000. And then the guy comes out, and all of his managers are standing around in a circle watching this conversation. And one of the other people that set up the arrangement for this pass-off to happen hands a book that I wrote called God Wants His Kids Back to the owner of this company. And the guy reads the title, and he looks back at me, and he goes, it doesn't matter what God you serve, just as long as you're sincere. And all of these people are staring at me. I'm, my head's still spinning from my day of big activities. And I was caught flat-footed. I didn't know how to respond. I had this moment of silence because I didn't want to embarrass him in front of his coworkers. But I also had an opportunity to talk about Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, not a way, a truth, and a life. That's a moment when I replay it that I went back. As I drive by uh, this company on the freeway, their, their company name is there clearly on the building. And I, I kind of go, God, give me that one back. My son on the way home is like, Dad, what's up with you, man? Why didn't you say something? He's calling me out. Good for him. You know what I wish I would have said? I wish I would have said, I believe there's a day when that will matter, but you've done a very good thing today with this generous gift. I'd love to be able to talk with you more about what you just asked. That would have been perfect. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. So I've made detailed notes. The next time something like that happens, that's my script. I'm ready. But I want that one back. Do you have one that you want back? 
a conversation with a friend, a colleague, a, a relative, a neighbor, something online. The cool thing about Jesus is he reinstates us. Hallelujah. He forgives us. He lets us have a do-over. Peter did have a chance to die for Jesus, and it happened upside down. He was very bold after. I read some of the stuff Peter wrote after this moment, and I'm like, man, Peter had some guts. He's just like, this Lord who you crucified has become Lord in Christ. Don't reject him. Whoa, Peter, let those moments that you went back give you a better answer the next time. Amen. Even if you've denied him three times or 33 times or 3,000 times, if you weep bitterly and come back to Jesus, he's going to accept you back again. If you weep bitterly and go into despair, there's no hope. But we bitterly see the need that we all have for Jesus, see how our heart wanders, and come back to the Lord. Now, Pete's told me I can't preach a minute over two hours, so I'm right on pace. Doing great. I'm kidding. But I do, I do want to give us a moment to respond because I would be remiss to read this story about how Jesus came after us and not give someone an opportunity to say, I'm done running. I've tried all the stuff elsewhere. I've spent a thousand days elsewhere, but today, whether you're online or whether you're here in person, whether you're downstairs or upstairs, you want to say, I'm done running. I want Jesus again in my life. So I've got a moment for you in just a second. Let's have everybody just bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're not a praying person, don't feel pressured to pray. I just want to talk to those who are listening to the Holy Spirit right now. You might feel like a little bit of a tug, conviction. You might feel like you're aware of the presence of a holy God around you. That's because it's true. If you've never said, I want Jesus in my life and all my sins can be erased, all of my stuff can be gone, not just ignored, gone. I want the blood of Jesus to pay for my sin so I can have eternal life and the power of the Holy Spirit in me. I'd like you to just look up at me if that's you this morning. I want to pray this prayer. I see you. I see you. In the privacy of your own heart, you can say, Dear Jesus, please come in and make your home with me. I see you running to come and get me. I'm done running. I surrender to you. Take me back again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me to proclaim your words of resurrection life to others that need you as badly as I do. Amen. If you are a believer in Christ, we have communion coming in just a second, but I, I want to do this quickly. If you're a believer in Christ and you want to be more bold in your conversations, I told you about the moment I went back and I'm committing to this. I'm going to raise my hand, not because I'm leading a conversation, but because I'm asking Jesus to use me in my life. If you want to be more bold in your conversations as you go find your one this week, I want to invite you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. And I'm going to pray fast because I know your shoulders are burning. But if that's you saying, I'm thankful God gives me second chances, third chances, 15th chances. I don't want to miss another opportunity to talk to someone that needs it. Let's pray together. God, look at all the hands up, both in person and in our hearts. I know there are hands raised that aren't physically raised right now. Father, use all of us this week. Send us out with your spirit 
to find the one that you want us to share with. And may we have boldness and humility with gentleness and love. May we proclaim who Jesus is. May we recognize Jesus more fully so others who hang out with us can recognize Jesus as well. Use us to change this city, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen, amen, amen. You all, thank you for listening to his word. Now we're gonna respond in another way through communion. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.